This message by Pastor Alexander Ruggieri was delivered at Faith Fellowship Church in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. For more information, please call 608-935-2655 or visit us at www.dodgevilleffc.com. A series called Monumental Mounts. These are the places of significance in the Bible, whether it be a mountain or a hill or just a raised area where um, something happened that's been recorded for us to learn from. We started with Mount Ararat, which was the Mount of New Beginnings, where God graciously gives us a fresh start in Him. Then we travel to Mount Moriah which is a ridge that encompasses uh, even Jerusalem. This is called the Mount of Provision because there God provided a substitute sacrifice pointing forward to when Jesus would be provided as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. Then we went to Mount Sinai last week. Mount Sinai, we don't know where it is. It's also called Mount Horeb. Um, But it's somewhere in that wilderness where the Israelites, after they crossed the Red Sea, were wandering and they came to this mountain, the mountain of God. But we called it the mountain of law because we looked in to see why God gave the law at Mount Sinai. What was the significance of the Ten Commandments? What does that mean for us today? And so we looked into that. This morning, we come to a mount called Mount Nebo, which is also called in the Bible Pisgah. This mountain we can locate. We know where it is. It's in, uh, it was in the, the area of Moab in the Bible in modern-day Jordan today. It's 2,330 feet above sea level, but from the peak... You can see the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is about 3,000 feet um, below. Excuse me, 4,000 feet below, because the the, uh, Dead Sea is lower than the sea level. So there's about a 4,000 foot view from the top of the mountain to the valley beneath. Mount Nebo you can go to today. There's a Byzantine church up on the peak. Next to the church, you find this giant sculpture of a bronze snake that they built. An Italian artist built this bronze snake to refer to the lifting up of the the snake that Moses lifted up in the Bible. From that mountain, if you stand on that mountain, you can look in the distance and you can see the river of Jordan where our Lord was baptized. If you look to the south on a clear day, you can see Bethlehem, where our Lord was born. You can see Jericho, where the walls came tumbling down. And on a clear day, you can even see the holy city, Jerusalem. It's a magnificent view. In our text, we read of a man who stood on Mount Nebo. And when you look at the events surrounding why this man stood on Mount Nebo, 
I've come to call this mount the bittersweet mount. Because I don't think there is in the Bible any more bittersweet moment than the day this man stood upon that mountain. The bittersweet mount. We're all going to experience both bitterness and sweetness in this life, especially as Christians. And this is, I just want to give a summary of what we can learn from Mount Nebo. You see, there may be times in our life, in the face of temptation, or in the face of an obstacle or a decision, where we make a decision and it's the wrong one. And as a result of making the wrong decision, there are consequences. What we can learn from this mountain is that we can learn how not to make those decisions in that time, how we can learn from somebody's mistakes. But even if we do make a mistake and suffer an irreversible consequence, God, in His grace and mercy, can still provide a Mount Nebo for us. God, our magnificent God, can take those bitter moments and bring sweetness out of them. God can strengthen our faith in Him, provide us with a close dependence on Him through the experiences. You see, what happened in the Bible with Moses and all the events, they're not just historical records. The Bible literally says that these things happened as instruction for us. The New Testament church. When we read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these stories that happened, God tells us that these things happened not only to bring about the fulfillment in Christ, but to also be lessons for us to learn so that we can not make the same mistakes or we can do the good things that these individuals did. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 says, Now all these happened to them as examples. They were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. So as we climb Mount Nebo and stand up there, and stand with that man, Moses. What can we learn? We have to understand the context of why this is a bitter moment. We have to understand what happened that caused there to be bitterness and sadness and remorse. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along to see the context in Numbers chapter 20. You can jump back in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 20 and you'll see exactly what's going on. You see, God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, out of bondage. He showed them His glory by parting the Red Sea, led them through the Red Sea, led them to Mount Sinai, which is where we were last week. And then He led them to the city of uh, Canaan, the land of Canaan, sent spies to view the Canaan. The people decided that God didn't have their best interests in mind because they were giants in that land. God said, as a result of you not trusting me, this generation will not enter the promised land. The next generation will. And so he leads them through the wilderness for almost for 40 years. 
He leads them this way and that way through the wilderness. Now, we come in Numbers chapter 20 at the tail end. It's, it's not the 40th year, but it's at the tail end of that wandering. So these people, this is the second generation, these Israelites have gone through that wilderness experience, eating the manna, seeing the miracles of God, learning, supposedly, that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And this is where we're at. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation. They ran out of resources. God had preserved them those 38 years, plus years at this point. There was no water. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought us up from the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? This is not a place of grain or figs or, or land flowing with milk and honey or vines and pomegranates. There's no water. Forty years almost being hand provided by God, explains verse 6, Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle, fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And God said to Moses, He said, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod before him, the Lord, as he commanded them. So you can picture it in your mind at this point, the great frustration of what Moses is experiencing. He led them for almost four decades through a wilderness, and this is the result. And in this frustration, Moses made a mistake. Several, but a big mistake, combined into one. And this mistake caused something that was an irreversible consequence. And so we want to understand, why is this a bitter experience on Nebo? And we want to understand, Lord, how can we learn from his mistake when we're faced with the similar situation in life? I'm going to read what happened and then look at, make observations of what happened. Verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals to drink. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, 
because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hallowed among them. Moses made a mistake. What observations can we make about this? Let's look and see what happened. These five observations I have for you. First, Moses allowed his anger to control him. You see, Moses allowed his anger to control him. In verse 10, he calls out to the children of Israel. You have to understand, he is frustrating. Understandably so. Didn't the people learn? The whole point of the wilderness was that they would depend on God. And now they're complaining and wishing they were dead because there's no water. And so he gets frustrated and he looks out at the children of Israel and he says in verse 10, he says, Hear now, you rebels. That word, rebels, is Mara. Same word that's used for the waters of Mara 40 years earlier. That bitterness. It means a bitter, contentious, rebellious. He says, you rebels. The Lord was not angry. He did not, he did not speak, I am angry, I am going to bring judgment. He just said, take the rod, speak to the rock, and water will come out. Moses says, you rebels. And that frustration, that anger took control of him to disobey the Lord. So we can learn, brothers and sisters, in moments of frustration, even if it's a righteous frustration, we must not let that anger take control of us. Because then we do things and we say things that we regret. How many of you have had that experience? Something happened where it got you so heated. It may have been right. It may have been wrong. It doesn't matter. You became so overtaken by this frustration. You just said something right away. Or you just did something without even thinking about it. And ten minutes later when the steam of the teapot came down, you look back and you go, Oh my word. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? This is something we can learn. James chapter 1 verse 19 says, My beloved brothers, Understand this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. The second observation. Moses took credit away from God. He took credit away from God. You see, he said, hear now you rebels, verse 10. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? He took credit for what God was going to do. And we know this because Moses, uh, God says later to Moses, you did not hallow me in the sight of Israel. How many times have we taken credit in our own lives, for something God has been doing. God has been working in our lives. But when our conversations with people, we don't give Him the honor. We don't give Him the glory. I remember when I was a kid, 
I was over somebody's house. And I was very young, but I have this memory. I was over somebody's house, and there was all the kids there. We were coloring. There was coloring books we could choose from, and we were coloring. And I opened up one coloring book, and there was a page that was half colored. Somebody started but didn't finish. And the, the, the colors were all beautiful and right in the lines where they belong. And so I decided I was going to finish it for them. So I took my and I tried to match the colors and I colored it in. And I felt so good about myself. I walked up to the nearest adult and I said, look what I did. And the adult, seeing obviously what had occurred, looked down and said, how come this half, they're not in the lines? But this half there are. And I remember as a little boy, I was uncomfortable. I didn't know what to say. And I lied. And I said, I got distracted, you see. And I'm sure the adult knew that I was not telling the truth. You see, God has done amazing things in your life and my life. And through us. I mean, we wouldn't be here today if it was not for God. Amen? I know I wouldn't. And so anytime God does some victory, brings about some good work in our lives, we give Him glory and credit. That way people know that it is not us, it is God who is working in and through us. Whatever talents, whatever gifts, we give glory to God. Third observation. Moses disobeyed the clear command of God. Moses disobeyed the clear command of God. God said to Moses in verse 8, He said, pick up the rod and speak to the rock. So Moses picked up the rod and struck the rock twice. He was given a clear command out of his anger and frustration. He disobeyed. That's true for us, brothers and sisters. God has given us clear commands. In the Scripture, we're not saved by obeying commandments, but Jesus told us, if you love me, keep my commandments. There are things that He has for us to do. There are things that we ought to do, that we ought not to do. And this is all driven not by a sense of I want to earn my salvation, but I love you, Jesus. So when you tell me in your word, I read something, you tell me, I obey it. He said, speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock. Fourth observation, all this stemmed from unbelief. You see, the anger, the taking credit for himself, the disobedience, it all stems from unbelief. Look at verse 12. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me. You did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. You see, when we stop believing God, that's when bad things happen. If Moses trusted God and said, Okay, God, I know this is a terrible thing that the people are complaining against you, but you tell me to speak to the rock, I will speak to the rock. The moment we decide for ourselves that we know what's best, God doesn't know what's best, that's when the domino effect occurs and things just 
crumble from that point. The fifth and final observation. All that he did, his actions, his unbelief, it brought a consequence. It brought a consequence. You see, God told him, because you did this, you're not going to bring the assembly into the promised land. And even later, Moses pleaded with God and asked God, God, please let me lead the people into the promised land. And God said, no. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, listen to this. Moses is writing to the children of Israel. He's telling them how it happened. He said, I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth beside you? You can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds. Now, if I were to begin a prayer like that, wanting something from God, it'd be the wrong motive, okay? You can kind of picture uh, the tendency to want to kind of hopefully motivate God to answer our prayers, you know? Oh God, you're a wonderful, merciful, great God. Can I have what I want? I trust Moses does not have that motive because I know I would, but Moses is sincere. He says, there's no God beside you. I pray, let me cross over and see the good land behind the Jordan. Those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. But he says, the Lord was angry with me on your account, would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah, that is Nebo. Lift your eyes to the west, to the north, to the east, to the south. Behold it with your eyes. You shall not cross over the Jordan. This is what's causing the bitterness on Nebo. You can start to feel it now. His actions had consequences. And brothers and sisters, if Moses, the man of God who talked with God face to face, and he he made this mistake, and it brought about an irreversible consequence, how much more should we heed this warning? Our actions have consequences. Before you click that mouse and go to that website, remember, our actions have consequences. Before you swipe that credit card and purchase that item, remember, our actions have consequences. Before you speak that word, remember, our actions have consequences. Before you make that decision, remember, Our actions have consequences. How dependent must we be on our God in our lives? If we're not in an abiding relationship with God, irreversible consequences can come. Now, brothers and sisters, I didn't bring you to Mount Nebo to only tell you about the bitterness of that action. We can learn from the mistakes. And I almost didn't even I almost didn't even include this in the series because I didn't know if there would be enough lessons to learn from it. But as I studied this and I saw 
God was doing something when he said, no, Moses, something greater than I would have expected. He took that mistake, that bitterness, and he turned it into something sweet. What seems at first as a bitter moment has become a cherished moment for me. What is sweet in this experience? So God says you shall not cross over. You're going to go up to the mountain and you're going to pass away. Now turn, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 34. The story doesn't end there. And you'll see what God does out of this bitter Wrong decision Moses make, irreversible consequence, regret, remorse. What did God do? In chapter 34, we climb the mount. 4,000 feet above the Dead Sea, seeing the land that Moses will not enter. Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zor. It was a beautiful sight. There's Moses. There's the Lord. The Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. And no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dimmed, nor his natural vigor diminished. The children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua the son of Nun was full of spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him, as did the Lord had commanded Moses. Then in verse 10, But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land, by all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. How is this a sweet moment? The first thing we see is that the Lord was gracious to Moses. The Lord was gracious to Moses. You see, Moses made the mistake. He was told he wouldn't be allowed into the land. But picture it with me. Stand with Moses on the top of that peak. There you are overlooking and seeing the most beautiful sight in that area. The beauty of the land before you. And there's a longing in you to be there. And you know you're not going to be there. And you're looking in there. And in an instant, you see the promised land. In an instant, Moses is in heaven. 
And while his eyes were overlooking that earthly land, wanting to be there in an instant, he sees the fulfillment of the earthly land and he sees the beauty of the land to come. And there's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and he's there and he meets them and they're in the beauty land of, of heaven. What an experience God gave to Moses to, to picture that earthly longing that he wanted and then in a moment to have all the fulfillment of what he wanted on earth there. Brothers and sisters, whatever mistakes we make, if we know Christ as Lord and Savior, whatever longing we have, there will be a day when we will we'll look at that longing, but in an instant we'll be in heaven, and every single longing we ever wish for or desire will be completely fulfilled in perfection. Every earthly longing that is good, that we want, that God, maybe sometimes we, He closed the door, we made a mistake, all, all this life of choices and decisions, in a moment will be perfect. How many of you know a loved one who knew the Lord Jesus and they were on their deathbed? Maybe there, as they talk with you, those final moments, they tell you of some remorse, some mistakes, regrets. I wish I did this when I was younger. I wish I was more faithful. But in a moment, when they close their eyes to this world, they're there in heaven. And everything is right. And everything is perfect. And their hearts are filled with joy. That's what God gives to us if we know Him. That promise that when we close our eyes to this world, we'll be in heaven. There's this idea of rewards. I get it. But ultimately, we will be perfect. The second thing we see that turns us into a sweet moment, not only was the Lord gracious, but the Lord's legacy through Moses was not defined by Moses' sin. But that Moses had a relationship with God there in verse 10. Look, if you will, since then, okay, this is like Moses' epitaph, the, the, the writing on the tombstone, if he had one. There has not arisen an Israel prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. That was the de de defining description of Moses' life. He knew God face to face. He spoke with God. He had a relationship with God. He made a mistake, but he was not defined in the end by that mistake. He was defined by his relationship with God. That's what matters for you. That's what matters for me as we walk through this weary world. If we stumble and fall, we ask for forgiveness, we repent, we try to do the right thing, but in the end, our, the basis of our salvation is in a relationship with God. That we speak to God face to face in prayer, through His Word, that we relate to Him, that He knows us, that we are known by Him, that we know Him. That's what defines us. That our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That our name is written on His hands.
the fourth observation, which is an ironic one. The Lord turned this really sad, bitter moment into beauty and sweetness because the fourth observation, it's not in this text, but the Lord granted Moses' request eventually. You see, Moses said, I want to be in that promised land. And God said, no, you're going to die. Moses died. But then a few thousand years later, there was a man in that promised land. He was God with us, Emmanuel. He was the Messiah that Moses prophesied. He brought a couple disciples up to a mountain peak. In a moment, his face was changed. The brightness of his glory was seen. A cloud enveloped the disciples, and who was standing there? Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So, in one moment, Moses is alive, not in the promised land, talking to his Lord. He dies. Time passes. He's back on earth, in the promised land, talking to his Lord. This strange turn of events that God granted Moses this gracious experience of being with the Lord. This is the God we know we can serve and love. You see how God's heart is wanting what's good for His children? You see how even if He punishes us in the sense of He disciplines us, maybe He doesn't grant what we want, we make a mistake, He still wants to abundantly give us above what we ask or think? There's one final observation that makes this Nebo mountain to be one of the most cherished mountains I will ever have. And it's back in Deuteronomy chapter 34. We see here that even though Moses made the mistake, the Lord cared deeply, deeply for his child. The Lord cared deeply for his child. And it's, it's, it's almost like you can bypass it so easily. Look at verse 6. Or jump back to verse 5. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. According to the word of the Lord or command of the Lord. That word literally means the mouth. According to the mouth of the Lord. Put that in the back of your head. Okay, verse 6. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab. Who? Who buried Moses? Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the mouth of the Lord, and he buried him in a a valley in the land of Moab. We're told that God himself buried his servant Moses. There's this experience, if you read in Jude, of Michael the archangel and Satan fighting over the body of Moses. Moses ta- uh, God takes that body out of that turmoil. He takes the body, literally takes the body, in the valley, opens up the ground, puts the body in the ground, and lays the dirt back over. There are many rabbis who say, when they read this text, they say, When the verse says, according to the mouth of the Lord, they interpret that to mean that 
according to the mouth of the Lord, that the Lord kissed Moses and he died. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it inspired Isaac Watts to write the hymn that says, Sweet was the journey to the sky, the wondrous prophet tried. Climb up the mount, says God, and die. The prophet climbed and died. Softly, his fainting head he lay upon his maker's breast. His maker kissed his soul away and laid his flesh to rest. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter at this point. We, we, we can make a mistake. We don't want to. We want to obey God faithfully. But if you have made a mistake, I want you to know that the Lord still deeply cares for you. Because when you look at Moses, whether or not he literally kissed his body and he died, God took that body. You know, every night, Elisha has little Finney in his hands, in her hands, and kisses him and lays him down in the crib. How many of you mothers have ever taken your child and you're holding that sweet baby and you kiss that child on the forehead and you say, my son, my daughter, it's time to sleep now. And you put that baby in the crib. One day you'll wake up. God Himself is going, took His servant Moses and He said, it's time to go to sleep, Moses. I'm going to lay you in the crib of this earth. And one day you'll wake up. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, a day will come when God will hold you. He will hold you dear. And He will kiss you on the forehead and He will lay you in the crib of this earth. And you will die. But he'll say, one day, my son, one day, my daughter, it's going to be time to wake up. And everything will be right. So if you are struggling, brothers and sisters, with regret, remorse, the first thing to do is to repent of it and say, Lord, I sinned against you, forgive me. And to try to do the right thing. But then take that at the foot of the cross of Jesus where His blood was shed for you. And rest in His forgiveness. And allow God to lead you in this world because one day God will bring you to Mount Nebo. And He'll bring me to Mount Nebo. And He'll take us in His arms and bring us to His home. Don't ever forget that. This is the bittersweet mountain, brothers and sisters. May it be a bittersweet mountain for you. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you so much for this that you showed me, that you carry me in your arms and that you carry all your children in your arms. The fatherly love of God is so wonderful to us. I pray, Lord, if somebody here this morning has not become your child, has not taken the step of putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, may they do that this morning. 
May they call upon you for salvation. They cannot do it of themselves. They cannot make themselves your child. You must adopt them. Would they call upon you to be saved, Lord? May they turn away from their sin. Father God, may they become a part of this family that you've brought here. Help us, Lord, as we are walking in this life to not make those mistakes that we know we do. To ask you for strength to live for you every day. But may we never forget that you love us and you want what's good for us. Thank you for Mount Nebo, Lord. Bless this time as we go to the Lord's table. In Jesus' name.